I'm going to be sharing with you a message and I'm going to close with a lesson I taught in 2014, November 6th and 7th at Black Mountain, North Carolina, wherever in the world that is, amen? And it was with Currytown Baptist Church, Brother Mike McDaniel was the pastor, so I've had a chance to do about 10 years of retreats for them, and uh, I've enjoyed every one of them, but I enjoy our retreats the most. I want you to start signing up the first of the year. We're having a big watch night service, which uh, 31st falls on uh, um, Sunday, I believe, and then we're going to have that all the way to midnight, have some of you young preachers preach, and have a guest preacher or two, and we'll have a great time, and then we'll eat. Does that shock you? We'll eat. Amen. Soup, salad, chilies, and bungee stew, but it's going to be great. I enjoy those testimonies, and I think that uh, husbands and wives ought to cherish each other, and one of the worst sins against you, uh, your mate would be to take each other for granted, but I'll tell you something, a lot of times... Marriages end because of bitterness. I want to deal with that subject tonight. A lack of forgiveness. I titled the message, Forgiveness, the Essential Element for Any Relationship. Forgiveness. I don't know about you, but if you've been married over six weeks, six hours probably, you probably had to forgive and to forget. And sometimes the devil wants to explode and, and um, he wants, he's a big amplifier. You know, a lot of people say, well, I would come to church, but everybody would be looking at me. I want to tell you something. They're, they're too busy looking at themselves to look at you. We all, we all got problems. We all got situations. And, folks, we're not trying to look at others and what they're going through. We had a lot of going on right before the service. I appreciate your prayers. You just don't know what a pastor goes through right before service sometimes, trying to deal with folks and explain to them and teach them in five minutes or less uh, why we can or cannot do something. But I appreciate everyone that was here. And uh, my question is, how long did it take you to get spiritual? And, uh, you know, it's amazing. I think it was Adeline or Adeline or who was Adelie? Adelie. Uh, Annalie. Okay, I'll get it right in a minute. Uh, the, the little uh, baby of Austin and, and Courtney, uh, she, we, they took her Bible away. They gave her a, a little pink Bible. And they took the Bible away and uh, said, um, we got to leave it here because Brother Larry gets it uh, name put on it and burned on it what do you call it inscribed or whatever and um and uh then she got back to the car and she was crying and letting her rip saying man i want my bible back i want my bible back so courtney ran back here and said miss connie forget the name on the book i gotta have that bible right now amen <laughs> and she had a smile upon her face and she was thrilled that her daughter was so excited about that little pink bible and folks, I pray that what's inside of it, she'll get really excited about it. And I pray that mom and daddy will live it and get involved in a local church somewhere, hope it's here, and bring up this little girl to love God's Word. And so that was precious. I thought that was great <clears throat> that she was crying for her Bible. I think every child's crying for their Bible. Lived out through you, parents. Amen. All right, let's stand all the Word of God. This is background verses, but I think it's appropriate. It says, bless the Lord, <clears throat> O my soul. I think we'll, we'll, uh, we'll um, read responsively here. You can do the second verse in a minute. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless His holy name. Class, bless the Lord. <clears throat> who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. 
crown of beauty, tender mercy, who satisfies thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord, he made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord, He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. Let's pray. You may be seated. Father, thank you for this great, great chapter on the blessing of your forgiveness, your unconditional forgiveness. Lord, our unmerited favor that we receive from thee, the forgiveness of God. Now, Lord, may we take that as a standard and a pattern for our forgiveness, for our mate. Lord, I praise you and thank you, dear God, for the healing touch of forgiveness. I praise you, Lord, for the tender-heartedness of my mate, my dear wife, Miss Connie. I thank you, dear God, she's tender-hearted. She's tender-hearted towards me, and she's tender-hearted towards her children, and she's tender-hearted towards her church family. And Lord, I need that, and I need to grow in that. And so, Lord, help us to realize what a blessing it is to be tender-hearted, forgiving, loving one another. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, a relationship one frequently needs forgiveness. To be forgiven and to forgive. Every marriage needs the healing touch of forgiveness. Where else could there be a, more opportunity to be annoyed, insulted, offended, ruffled by another person than in the intimacy of married life? To learn how to forgive and how to draw on the spiritual resources to accomplish this task, it's one of the most important skills, but it's one of the most important blessings to yield to because the real forgiver is the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit convicts us when we're not loving and we're not kind, when we're tender-hearted, when we're hard, when we're, when we're critical and cynical like a lot of people live in as couples and they don't live long. And I want to just uh, deal with this subject just a little bit on uh, the true gift of forgiveness or the essential for any relationship. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and this is where we'll study. We'll use uh, Psalms 104 or 103 as a background verses. But I want you to notice in chapter 4, and I'll start with verse 17. The Bible says, This I say therefore and testify, Ephesians 4, 17. You with me? Bring your Bibles, amen. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. I want to tell you something. The world has a low standard. A, sta a low standard of values, of habits, of, um, of you know, just, just arguments, of uh, uh, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I'll get even. I'll get ahead. I'll step on whoever's ahead. Folks, it's the vanity of the world. And we should not walk as the world. I believe our marriage should be so different and so spiritual. I want you to notice the next verse is having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them 
because of the blindness of their heart. Our hearts are not blind. Our hearts are enlightened. Who being past feelings have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. In it for self. In it for what you can get. But here's the key. It says, who being past feelings have given themselves over to lasciviousness to walk all uncleanness with But ye have not so learned Christ. If so, be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth in Jesus. And here's the key. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old life, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. So first of all, if you're going to live the Christian life of tenderheartedness and kindness and being forgiven, you need to put off. And that means you need to be daily renewed by the Spirit of God. The former conversation. Uh, we need to live not like the lost in lust and deceitful and, and corruption and deceitful lust, selfish, having our way and getting our way no matter what and who we hurt. You know, you can win an argument and lose a relationship. Our goal should not be to win an argument. Our goal should be to de-escalate the argument and win a mate or win a friend. Anybody can argue. Anybody can fuss and anybody can complain and anybody can hold a grudge, but a grudge, you don't hold it, it holds you. But I see another key in verse 23. It says this, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Every day, day by day, we need to have a renewal of our mind. And we need to be not transformed, conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of our mind that may prove out that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And the perfect will of God is for you to be like Jesus. And then there's not only putting off, but there's putting on. And as I said this morning, I can't stand form. I can't stand ceremony. A lot of people thought that uh, it was baby dedication day was just a, a form. It was a ceremony. And I have to explain that. Next year, we're going to make sure that... Uh, I have a little counseling time with each couple and tell them the importance of not thinking it's some kind of ceremony that sanctifies your child. That's like christening. That's like baby baptism. But it's dedication of the parent. It's dedication of the parent. And we need to put on, which means yield. Look at this. That you may put on the new man. You ought to yield to the Spirit. You ought to yield to His Spirit. And when you yield to His Spirit, I won't tell you what His Spirit does. Loves through you. And forgives to you. It goes on to say in verse 24, And put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, uh, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one another. Be ye angry, and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. The word place means jurisdiction. And I want to tell you something, a lot of people are setting up a kingdom in their heart of corruption because they've been offended. They've been offended by somebody very close to them. That's the offense that hurts the most. It's when somebody you love and trust hurts you. But the devil wants to take that hurt and harden your heart. The devil wants to close your spirit. The devil wants to get a, 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 a foothold and set up a kingdom. And that word place means jurisdiction or kingdom in your heart. There's no room for that. There's no room for that. Uh, folks, we've got to put off that. We've got to reject that. We've got to rebuke the devil every day of our life and yield to the Spirit of God. And only by His Spirit can you forgive. And it says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. You ought to keep short accounts of offense. Some people are not hysterical, they're historical. They think about something that happened a long time ago in their marriage and they, they won't let it go. 
And folks, that eats as a cancer on their soul, and bitterness turned in is depression, and bitterness turned out is anger. And all bitterness is, it leads to an unforgiving, hard-hearted relationship. And then it says, let him that stole still no more, but rather let him labor, with it, working with his hands the things which is good that maybe have to give to him that needeth. Now here's the ministry of marriage. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Don't live like the world, don't talk like the world. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that he, it may minister grace unto the hearer. Unmerited favor. And folks, with that grace is mercy. That means you forgive and forget by the grace of God those that offend you. You edify them. Our goal is not to win an argument. Our goal is to win a relationship. And it goes, in, it goes on to say, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed into the day of redemption. I'll tell you what grieves the Holy Spirit and thus grieves the Father. It's when we don't get along. When we rent our robes and give up on our relationship. When we, when we talk hateful and corrupt towards each other. And we put down and, and we fuss and we fight and we nip, manipulate in the flesh because we're not ministering grace to the hearer. It grieves the Father. Grieve not, let's take this in context. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Now folks, you can grieve a preacher, you can grieve a mate, but when you grieve the Holy Spirit, that's a terrible sin. He wants us to be one in the Spirit. And then listen to this. Let all bitterness and wrath, that's what bitterness leads to, and anger and clamor, it's an escalation, it's an explosion, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And here's our text. And be ye kind one to another. I think we need a revival of kindness in the home. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted. I want you to circle the word tender-hearted. If you're in the habit of marking your Bibles, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. Now here it is. That's why I read Psalms 103. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. I want to just... Uh, preach just a short message and then teach you some things about forgiveness in a closing. But folks, I want to contrast the old man and the old nature. I want to contrast a lost marriage and a saved marriage. I want to contrast one that's been forgiven and one that has not been forgiven. And folks, it all is wrapped up in this one word, tender-hearted. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted. Tender-hardeningness has a profit. What is that prophet? It's kindness. The Greek word kindness means to meet one's need, to be profitable. I don't know about you, but uh, I, I'm glad I'm married to someone that, that uh, increases my life towards God. That, that her goal is to, to accelerate me and to, and to encourage me is a better word. And to edify me that I might be a better Christian and a better uh, uh, man of God. And a better pastor, of course. But folks, I want to tell you something. It's good to have a mate that's kind. Amen? And I want to tell you something. Life's too short to manipulate, fuss, and fight, and argue, and, and throw in the towel, and rip each other up with words, and then go off and pout for a century. <laughs> it's pathetic. That's not God's will. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't let the devil have a place in your marriage. If you have any 
lack of forgiveness. And it could be not towards your mate. You might be mad at your daddy. You might be mad at your mama. You might be uh, bitter at your ex. And that's why second and third marriages have a hard time because the past poisons the present and ruins the future. You can't do anything about the past except learn a lesson and realize that you can uh, gain from the lessons there and go on by the grace of God and rebuild your life. There's a lot of people don't make it because they cannot ever conclude and the skeleton is taking flesh every day coming out of that closet and you just devour each other because somebody else hurts you. I was talking to someone recently and I said, y'all need to get married. I mean, I'm just, I'm just blunt, blunt about it. You need to get married. It's right in God's eye. Before marriage, living together is fornication, it's adultery, whatever you want to call it. It's just sin. You realize that. And the person said, well, I just got to make sure that uh, she's the right one. <clears throat> and I thought, I said, without commitment, there is no love. Without commitment, there is no marriage. And I want to tell you something, folks. There's a lot of couples that are going trial and error, but if you've got a plan B, it'll take place every time. There is no plan B to forgiveness. You need to forgive. You need to conclude the past, and not because you've been hurt in the past, take it out on the present, and not make commitments to God, and not be totally committed. Kindness. You ought to be committed to be kind to your mate. That means when she does something wrong or he does something wrong that you're willing to forgive as quick as possible. And let me say this, <clears throat> and I, I've never heard it preached this way, but I believe it's true. Before there can be forgiveness, there must be repentance. Before you can be forgiven by God, you must repent. And I want to tell you something, before you can really forgive and have forgiveness accepted, you need to repent. And so somebody needs to give in from their stinking pride and, the, and their stubbornness and say, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, forgive me. Amen? But a lot of people, they'll never admit they're wrong. The hardest thing for a man to say is, honey, <clears throat> I was wrong, I'm sorry, forgive me. We get choked up on those sentences because we're always right. Don't say amen right there. Some of you are thinking about letting it rip right there. We always think we're right. Amen. But we're not always right. I'm not saying we're always wrong either. And I don't believe the wife ought to be the conscience of the man. Not the Holy Ghost. Nobody's called to be the Holy Ghost of a mate. But folks, we ought to both listen. And if we'll listen by the Spirit of God, and we see the, what our actions are doing and our reactions, most important of all, are grieving the Spirit of God. There'll be some conviction, there'll be some repentance, and there'll be some forgiveness accepted. You say, well, one or she's so stubborn, or he's so stubborn, he won't repent. Then forgive him and wait on him to come and receive it. <laughs> Amen? The light's still on, and it's not just Motel 6, either. It's the light of forgiveness. The prodigal son came home and found the father waiting to forgive him. He'd already forgiven him. He's just waiting for him to accept it. That's your attitude. Number two, tenderheartedness has a passion. It's um, tender-hearted. That means it shows sympathy. But it also shows empathy. You put yourself in their place. How many has ever been wrong and your wife proved it? Raise your hand. <laughs> Amen. You didn't think you was wrong, but you got, you got convinced. And you know something? I believe that tender-heartedness means you don't stomp a person when they're wrong. And you don't cut somebody down, and you don't annihilate them to prove you're right, but you just tenderheartedly 
have compassion and sympathy that they're so wrong. No, not really. That they're, that they're, that, and you put yourself in their place. If I make a mistake, I want somebody to be patient with me. Say amen. And folks, I'll tell you, forgiveness is a gift from God, but the passion is to show it and to have passion towards that person and treat them like you want to be treated when you were wrong. Number three, tenderheartedness has a pardon. The pardon in being tenderhearted is forgiveness. And be kind one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Forgiveness. And folks, when a person repents by the wrongdoer before the forgiveness can take place, it's wonderful. But I believe we ought to forgive even when they don't realize that they're wrong. The Lord forgave us a long time ago. He's just waiting on us to pick it up. Amen? And I want you to know, folks, there's a pardon. And it's, it's wonderful to be forgiven. I think the closest I ever am to my wife is when she forgives me. Because I don't deserve it. And you know something? We've had arguments. I know you can't believe that. And we've had misunderstandings. That's a good word for, we just had a knockdown drag out. And um, we've had uh, times where we just were so upset with each other. But I want to tell you something. One thing I love about my wife is she's very forgiving. And I've needed it. And she'll go on and not hold a grudge. And she'll not let the grudge hold her. And praise God, she'll, she'll not go through the next day cold as a turkey. But she's just, she just concludes it. And I, and, I, and I appreciate that. Tender hardness pardons. That means they give you what you don't deserve by the grace of God. But last but not least, tender hardness has a pattern. Even as God, listen, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. If God can forgive you, who are we not to forgive someone else? Because I'm going to say this. Your sins took Jesus to the cross. And folks, it's, that's why when we confess our sin, it's not just a little listing of the sin. It's seeing it as God sees it. Judge it as God judges it. And praise God, realizing that sin took Jesus to the cross and repenting of it. Not sin confess, sin confess. Have you ever been in an argument and somebody said, I'm sorry, but you didn't believe it for a second? I'm sorry. And I'm still right. That's not forgiveness. It's, it's Christ for Christ's sake. How can God forgive you? Because he treated his son as if he did it. Now let me just close with this lesson. What is forgiveness? It's the feeling. It's not, it's not a feeling at all. It's a choice you make when you go against every self-centered fiber in your being. It's a choice to forgive. True forgiveness is a strong, rational decision based on spiritual values, fueled by spiritual resources, and modeled after spiritual principles of God's forgiveness. Folks, I guarantee you, forgiveness is not only not just a, not, not, not just a feeling, but forgiveness is a promise. I want you to turn to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34. I will show you a promise. Jeremiah chapter 31, and I want you to look at verse 34. Wonderful, 
verse on forgiveness. The Bible says, And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know ye the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them and to the grace of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities and I will remember their sin no more. Now I want to say this, God's not absent-minded. And God's omniscient. God's omnipresent. God knows everything. And He's not going to forget anything. But I want to tell you something. This member, I'll remember their sins no more. That means He treats you as if you never did it. Justified means justified, never sinned. And as though I've always been righteous. And folks, His forgiveness is complete. And I'll remember that sin no more. The Bible says in the verses we read in Psalms 103, Cast it far as the east and the west. And that's a long ways apart. When God forgives a sinner... He does not simply become emotional over, his, over, over, his repent, over your repentance. No, instead he goes on record that he has forgiven by making and keeping a promise to that effect. He said he'd forgive you. You can count on God's word. Our forgiveness is modeled after Christ's forgiveness, for Christ's sake. This means the forgiveness is also a promise that offers assurance for the future. I mean, you can actually enjoy marriage after a disagreement. After there's forgiveness, there ought to be conclusion of the matter. But some people hold on. Forgiveness is a formal declaration to lift the burden of one's guilt and the promise to remember another's wrong against him no more. It involves a threefold commitment. Number one, I won't bring this up to you again. That's a commitment. I won't bring it up to others either. You ever had an argument and went to the church hallway and told everybody about it? Bad choice. And then I won't bring it up to myself again. Folks, that's three great commitments of forgiveness. I won't bring this up to you again. I won't bring this up to others again. And I won't bring this up to myself again. What the, what the forgiven learns. If you're forgiven, you learn a lot. Number one, he or she, you learned that you were a jerk who needed to give more thought to his mate's feelings. You'll learn that. When you're forgiven, you'll learn what a jerk you really was. Amen? Hey, folks, you ought to think. You ought to, you ought to, you ought to give more thought to the mate's feelings. I like the word, the acrostic, think, before you speak. But think should be before you argue. Number one, T, is it truthful? H, is it helpful? Before you say something and spout off and get mad and fume and fuss and raise your voice and preach to your wife is it helpful i found it to be true it's not helpful it stirs it up i is it inspiring n is it necessary and k is it kind before you speak before you argue you ought to think number two what you learn what the forgiven learns that his mate is a beautiful person. Not, only, not in looks only either. You know what a beautiful person is? A beautiful person is one that's like Jesus. And I want to tell you something. When you're like Jesus, you're forgiven. Thirdly, the forgiven learns this. That the next time he or she offends him, he will be quick to forgive her in turn. We learn that they forgave us, but why shouldn't we forgive them? 
But when you won't forgive, what is the consequences in closing? If you hold on to your resentments, they will turn to bitterness. As a result, your life will be poisoned and other lives will be poisoned also. That's why verse 30 and 31 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed in the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Friend, I want to tell you something. The results of a grudge is that it'll hold you a lot longer than you'll be held by that grudge. There was a verse that came to mind, if I can find it. Yes, Hebrews chapter 12. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12, please. I want you to look at verse 13 through 15. Hebrews 12, 13 through 15. I don't apologize for teaching on Sunday night. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 13 through 15, the Bible says, And make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man can see the Lord, looking diligently, lest lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up uh, troubling you, and thereby many be defiled. The root of bitterness has many fruits. Materialism. I was once counseling a lady, and she said, man, every time I get depressed, I go out and charge something. And I looked at the husband and said, now I know why you're depressed. But I want to tell you something. Friend, that's the truth. There's many fruits of bitterness. Every time I get upset, I want to get even. Folks, uh, it's resentment that turns into bitterness. And bitterness, the root of bitterness, can destroy your life. It can destroy your perspective. Folks, bitterness leads to adultery. Bitterness uh, throws peace out the back door. Bitterness uh, breeds uh, 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 nervous children and insecurity all among the household. Number two, when you, when you won't forgive by refusing to release the burden of the other person's wrong against you and choosing to carry that burden yourself, you may become crippled in your living of, of life. You'll become crippled in the living of life. In other words, there'll be a, uh, no peace and no holiness. There'll be a, uh, your head will hang low, the Bible says. There'll be chastening your life and no peaceable fruit. If you're not willing to forgive, there's no way you can expect to walk in personal fellowship with God. I want to say this. If you do not forgive your mate, your prayers are hindered. 1 Peter 3, 7. But also, if you do not forgive your mate or forgive anyone, then he won't forgive you. And he will not answer your prayers. Turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. Matthew chapter 6, and verse 14 and 15, the Bible says this, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You cut yourself off from God. Not that you lose union, but you lose communion, and you cease to abide. And folks, when you cease to abide, you cannot pray. And so you need to remember when you go to the altar to offer worship to God or come to the house of God, and you remember that somebody has an alt against you. You don't have an alt against them. they got an alt against you. The Bible says, 
forget the gift and go to that person and first be reconciled. Jesus preached that in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's the clear choice. You either choose love and emotional freedom and fullness of life or you hold on to old injuries and let them grow inside of you until they take over and you become a prisoner. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 18 and see the world's worst prison. Matthew chapter 18, verses, and I'll try to abbreviate this, verse 21 through 35, Matthew 18. The Bible says, Then came to him Peter, Lord, how often uh, a brother sinned against me, and I forgive him until seven times. He said, seven times. Jesus said to him, I say unto you, until seven times, but until seventy times seven. That's 490 times. It says, therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain kingdom uh, which would take account of his servant. And he gives this parable about uh, uh, for much as a man that not pay the Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife. It says, when he get, uh, there was a man that owed him 10,000 talents. And verse 25 says, for as much as he had not to pay his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. And the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee. And the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. That's a picture of our salvation. 10,000 times uh, he owed him talents. But look at this. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants with owed him 100 pence. That's $44. Owed him $44. He'd just been forgiven of 10,000 he owed him $44, and he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, and, paid, and he said, Pay me that thou owest. And his ser- fellow servant fell down at his feet, besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. And so when the fellow servant saw what was done, that they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done, then his Lord, after that he had called him unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee of thy debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I have pity on thee, or compassion? His Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he paid all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespass. The world's worst prison, the world's worst consequence is the prison of unforgiveness. Folks, when it, it, when, when it seems impossible to forgive, don't become a prisoner. You cannot dictate how people will treat you, but there's one thing you're obligated to do, and that's react in the Spirit and realize that you have the power of the Holy Spirit to forgive them or you're going to be cast into a prison, the world's worst prison. You'll be held in bondage. And they probably won't even care because they hurt you, but I want to tell you something. If you hold a grudge or a grudge holds you, everything you do will be poisoned, and you'll feel like you're in prison. Now, when does it seem impossible to forgive? What should you do? God never asks His children to do anything that He does not provide both instruction and strength to accomplish. You do not have to be controlled by your feelings. And you're not the helpless prisoner of your past. So stop living there and stop blaming everybody else. Jesus Christ has a special deliverance and healing for you that is, uh, uh, 
for you and he has been bruised and wounded by the sins of your mates or anybody against you, the Bible says that he is the healer of your soul. Do we have to forgive everything? <clears throat> Let me just ask you a question in closing. God is not selective. and God's grace covers every category of your wrongdoing. So if you're going to be like Christ and be like God, you don't get selective in your forgiveness. I quote from Dr. Ed Wheat, M.D., who's written many books on marriage. He says, anger against someone is a big waste of time. Isn't it? get red in the face, blood pressure soars, you throw the lamp through the window and kick the dog. All because of something you didn't like at home. The kids run for cover and the wife cringes saying he might take it out on me in action. He's a madman. He's gone wild. And I could reverse the story also. It's a big waste of time. It's embarrassing, isn't it? Isn't it embarrassing what you can do in a fit of anger? Isn't it expensive? Isn't it lustful and, 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 and selfish to be an angry person? He said, anger against someone is a big waste of time. It doesn't bother the, the other person, but it drains you of your own energy. You're the loser. If someone is hostile towards me, it's their problem, not mine. And as for forgiveness... I don't argue with God about it. I just do it. And I sleep well at night. Amen. Make a habit of forgiving. Never keep count. Settle your accounts quickly. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Remember that forgiveness always includes the idea of restoration and a new start. The devil is the master accuser of the brethren. The devil divides and devours. The devil hardens and concretes your heart and closes the spirit of your mate. And if you don't forgive, you'll never be useful for God. And you'll never be happy in the Lord. When Connie and I first got in the ministry, I'll never forget it, I surrendered to the to do whatever God wanted me to in full time, gave up the business world, gave up my connections with General Electric uh, Appliance Company and had connections with my uncle to be a, an executive and go to executive training in Schenectady, New York. And the night I was at the altar, I surrendered to the will of God in full-time ministry. There was a pastor in South Georgia that announced that he was going to call me that night and ask me to be the youth pastor of Gospel Baptist Temple in Claxton, Georgia. I served there two years. Our church grew from 50 to 500 in a storefront. The it was a talk of the town. The place was packed with young people. Uh, Brother Barry led the choir, and <clears throat> I was a youth pastor and had 78 youth in my, in my Sunday school class, and buses packed. We had 831 in Sunday school in a town of 3,000. And then one night, I discovered that my pastor was an adulterer. He was having an affair with the secretary. Caught red-handed. Then later on after I discovered that, it wasn't many days later that 
Brenda, my wife's best friend, sweet, kind, loving mother of two, sweet pastor. Remind me a lot of Miss Connie, just, just forgiving and loving and kind, and always ministering and volunteering. She strangely fell in the shower and was killed. They said it was an accident. Barry showed up at the funeral with scratches on his face. I'm convinced to this day that he killed his wife. And I remember when all this was coming down and Connie and I were left there after he resigned. George Johnson was in the Cathedral Quartet was singing that morning for homecoming and I preached on why Christians have trouble. Figured that was an appropriate message. He got up and announced that I was the next pastor of Gospel Baptist Temple and I said, no, I don't. Not on your watch. And you're not God and I ain't going to pastor this place. It was split right down the middle. Nobody speaking to each other. Half the people believed he was guilty. Half of them believed he wasn't guilty. And I remember my wife and I went to our little apartment. It was in the back of a motel of, uh, that uh, one of the members owned. And we fasted for three days and three nights and asked God to please help us to forgive this guy that put us in full-time ministry. We thought... And invited us down to full-time ministry and we were down in that little town and the church split in half $790,000 in debt it was a terrible mess God seemed to soothe our hearts and calm our spirits and then Brother Paul Forsyth came on the scene Brother Bob Ware said I know it's such a bad situation but I want you to stay there two years promise me you won't resign because I was leaving I was getting out of the ministry and I want to say this the reason I'm here today and pastoring this wonderful church is because on those three days God helped me forgive somebody that hurt us and hurt the ministry and run a church and we forgave him. We didn't understand. We wanted to quit. And then a man of God showed up and began to train me for two years. And in two years I said, I've served my two years I'm going to go start a church. And God led me to this county, to this place. I'm glad God forgives. But I'm glad God gives us grace to forgive others that hurt us. Or I would have never gotten the ministry. I'd have never been a pastor. I'd have never met you. I'd never been able to counsel some of you that's been hurt. Hurt people hurt people. But forgiven people should be forgiving people. Let's pray. Our Father, I want to thank you for not only your grace, but your mercy. And Lord, I thank you that we don't have to wear our feelings on our shoulders and leave this church every three years or leave a church every three years and go find disgruntled and divided people. God, that we're a church that's learned to forgive. And God, I believe it starts in the home. And I pray in Jesus' name and for your glory and for the furtherance of the gospel that if there's anyone in here that has even a root, a branch of bitterness in their heart, that right now the Holy Spirit's naming that person, showing that video in their mind, 
They're re- rehashing what they're bitter about. God help them to get total forgiveness for holding that grudge. Lord, our reactions are showing. And God, I pray that no one on this earth will control our emotions except you. And Lord, that comes with the Holy Spirit and forgiveness. Lord, thank you for this lesson on forgiveness. I need it. And I pray to God I'll apply it. That we'll have a clean heart towards each other, towards the past, that it'll be concluded, that we'll go on and be like Christ. And that's being tenderhearted, forgiving one another, and kind one towards another.